0: We are back for another episode of Bitcoin Magazine Live. It is I, your host, Q, and I'm coming to you yet again from my mother's basement, and I'm joined by my co-host, Pete. How goes it in your neck of the woods, man? Fantastic. Doing great, man. Doing great. Great. Excited. It's a cloudy day here in Los Angeles, but it's Thursday. One more day until the week, and we are joined by a special guest today, none other than the founder and CEO of Paxful, Ray Youssef. Ray, how are you doing, sir?
1: I'm doing great, brothers, and an honor and a privilege to be here.
0: We're, you- we're really excited. We've been uh, looking forward to this conversation for quite some time. Um, and as I had mentioned just before we started, I really came across you and the work you were doing at Bitcoin 21. Um, and I'd love maybe if you could just touch on and share a little bit about some of the work you've been doing in Africa as far as it relates back to Bitcoin. So I
1: started Paxful seven years ago and i I always believed that Bitcoin was more about purpose than price, that it wasn't just an asset class for rich kids to play with. They've already got enough of those things. I believe that Bitcoin could be the tool of empowerment and liberation that will allow people in need, the little guy, especially those in the global South, Africa being notable for me because I was born there. I believe Bitcoin could help them break out of the system of financial apartheid that they have been in for, I don't know, past 200 years. And this is the reason why people are poor. And I wanna stress this because, you know, ultimately what powers me is my belief in a better future. And that is my mission. I believe in a world where everyone can be wealthy. And by wealthy, I don't mean you've got, you know, a yacht and your own plane. I mean, you have a great home, you have all the food you need, you have a good life and lots of free time, That is wealth. That is the world that is possible for everyone on the planet. Some don't have to be poor so others can be rich. All that we need is an honest system of money and the ability to transact freely with it. Free trade creates wealth and wealth creates peace. You can't have free trade if you can't have payments, right? So if you think about it, honestly 99% of the world is really unbanked, right? If you're an African, if you're a Nigerian or an Egyptian where I was born and you have a bank account in your country, you're still unbanked for 99% of the world. Because even though you can make a payment within your country, try sending money to the country next door in Africa. You're gonna see how hard it is. Try sending money out of the country to make a payment or buy some goods for resale. You'll have to fill out a form and pray that the central bank authorizes it. They usually don't, because they don't want the hard currency leaving their economies. These are the problems that face the world. This is the reason why some people are poor and some people are rich. It's not because the Africans have people in the Global South are lazy or corrupt. It's because we can't imagine the limitations that they live with every single day. Going to Africa, meeting the people, talking to them, showed me all this was true. I've been learning all this from our own users for the past seven years. And they taught me a great deal. They've also taught me what Bitcoin's killer app really is as a means of exchange. that allows people, unbanked people, people in the Global South, people that are tired of being overbanked, it allows them to jump across borders and do what they need to do with their money. It's truly the greatest innovation of our times. The only thing that could be better, or rather the thing that we need now, is a decentralized marketplace. That's what Paxful is not completely decentralized yet, unfortunately, but it is peer-to-peer. Peer-to-peer. That's what this game is all about. First words in the Bitcoin white paper, peer-to-peer electronic cash. Peer-to-peer just means you're doing this stuff with another human being not an organization. I knew that was the way forward, peer-to-peer electronic marketplace is what the world needs, that's what Paxful is. There's a lot more work to do, but I'll, I'll stop right there. Uh, I'm happy to tell you about how exactly that journey into Africa went, because I think people could learn a lot from that.
0: No, I, I would love to, for, for us to dive down that rabbit hole and, and hear maybe some of the things that you were hearing before people were onboarded and using and sort of what they were looking for and how this was sort of presented to them as that life raft, if you will.
1: Yeah, so I'll tell you a story. Uh, this is my journey, right? So I'm the CEO and founder, but I do customer support every day, whether it's on you know our Zendesk or our, my Twitter or the you know, Instagram or WhatsApp. People find me, and I like that. So let's backtrack about six years ago. We first served the unbanked uh, in America. 40 million unbanked people in the united states and they don't want to have a bank account right they're fine being unbanked so we learned how to help them how to get them their first bitcoin they couldn't do it because coinbase doesn't work without a bank account right so we find it made it work for them we found a way to make it happen with gift cards and it worked that's what was our first traction point but the entire time i was talking to all of these africans Nigerians, Kenyans, Malawians, South Africans, everyone I could find really trying to understand what was going on in Africa because it was my dream I believed that Bitcoin could really help Africa and I started talking about this seven years ago and everyone was just ridiculing the idea you know Africans make two dollars a day how are we going to buy Bitcoin they can't figure it out etc fast forward now Africa's needing adoption but how did that happen so the first thing I did was actually went there i met the people i went to nigeria it was from all my conversations with africans online nigerians had the most you know gusto and uh, business acumen i don't want like to use the word aggression in a bad way but i mean it with respect they're willing to actually get out there and solve problems and try new things even if it means losing so i really respected the nigerians for that and i went to lagos and I started talking to the people, and I saw all the problems that they had. They communicated to me firsthand. I met the incredible and immense talent of that country. I mean, it seems like everyone in Lagos has a fintech startup, and the country is just overblown with natural resources, meaning what's in the people's heads, right? They're young people, especially. So, the first challenge, brother, was to get Bitcoin into Nigeria. And I believe if it got into Nigeria, from there, it would flood into the rest of Africa. And indeed, it has. It's exactly what happened. But the challenge was how do you get Bitcoin to Africa, The a place in Nigeria where it's so hard to get money out of the country because of capital controls? Cacao beans, their top export, $10 million for a minimum order. I didn't have $10 million. I was actually homeless at the time. So, what we had to do. We had to show the Nigerians how they could acquire a digital asset and show them how they could uh, trade it with a counterparty for Bitcoin. That was the only way. What did we do? Gift cards. We showed Nigerians how they could get gift card codes for their labor, their work, their efforts, for their remittance. And they could just give that gift card code to a Chinese gamer on Paxful at a discount. And boom, they'd have Bitcoins instantly. Then these brothers would actually take that Bitcoin and either they would hold on to it and start their own business or whatever, or most of them actually would sell the Bitcoin for a local bank transfer. So they were turning gift cards bought in USD into a bank transfer in their account in Naira. And they used two peer-to-peer transactions to do that. They essentially converted a gift card into a, a USD gift card into a Naira bank transfer using Bitcoin as the kind of clearing layer. So they were basically hacking our marketplace as a kind of universal translator and transporter of money. And every time I watch these amazing people, they just shocked me. They're people that are hacking our escrow service to do a credit and lending. Like they will find a way to do anything. And if you're a really good entrepreneur, you'll stop thinking so much and just watch your users with respect. And productize everything they hack out. And that's how we got the first Bitcoins into Africa. I'll give you one quick anecdote. I was online one day, Doom support, some guy comes up, he's like, hey, what's Bitcoin? Common question, but I love it when people who have just typed Bitcoin into a search engine for the first time. I love talking to those people, right? Because you learn so much. Turns out this guy was a Nigerian brother, was importing cars from Detroit, selling them for a 400% profit. But his business, that's a common thing in Nigeria. However, his business now is dead because he could not pay the invoice in the Detroit auction house, was the Nigerian Central Bank said, hey, we're not doing any more outgoing Euro or, or USD transfers. We're holding on to that money for ourselves, because we want to stabilize our currency, you know, buy weapons, et cetera, whatever. So then the people, the citizens, the middle, smaller businesses, what can they do? This guy's business was completely shut down. I told him, no problem, bro, how much is the car? $6,000 for Land Rover or whatever it was. It was used, 87. I don't remember exactly. I said, okay, bro, 6000 bucks, no problem. All you have to do, buy $6,000 worth of Bitcoin with a bank transfer. And I gave him a guy in OnPax, Niger Nigeria would do it. And then all you have to do is sell that Bitcoin to a guy in America. Give him the invoice, and he'll pay that invoice from his bank account to the local American bank account. At first, he thought it was a scam. But then I walked him through it with a small transaction. And he saw that it worked I and mean, he tried it and boom, he was back in business. And because of that, he was back in business with everyone else in that business, was out of business, right? But eventually the word got around and everyone in Nigeria started to figure it out, and word moves fast over there, use Bitcoin for remittance, use Bitcoin for payments, you can jump across borders, you don't have to get the permission and the blessing of the central bank. This is the way forward. And that's why Nigeria leads global cryptocurrency adoption.
0: I think it's beautiful to hear two very different, but very powerful stories about how Bitcoin has afforded a way for these people to circumvent the centralized control of these governments. And I'm curious, and forgive the ignorance of the question, but how has the government reacted over the course of the time that Nigerians have become more and more Bitcoin and crypto savvy? Or have they just still sort of sat on their hands for now?
1: Well, they certainly have reacted. There is still a ban on um, banks doing business with cryptocurrency exchanges. And that's because you know, the government of Nigeria was looking around and literally the Nigerian youth was moving so fast that their heads were spinning. They were like, what is going on? And it was showing up in the numbers. You know, Seven years, six years of this had really hit home because, for example, in 2020, uh, January, remittances into Nigeria were like 2.4 billion. By September of that year, it had fallen to, well, $55 It's a 98% decrease. And COVID was a part of it, clearly, but it couldn't explain the massive shortfall. What happened? Nigerians had figured out, hey, you can just ask your relatives to send you Bitcoin, and you can sell it for a bank transfer or whatever in Nigeria, no problem. And it's instant. And that's all they started doing. You didn't have to pay 20%. Some of them even made a slight profit on the arbitrage, and it was instant. And that's all they wanted. So the Nigerian government is still trying to understand what to do here. We've actually gone over there and we've met with the EFCC, they're like the SEC of Nigeria, and they were quite happy to meet us. No one had ever even spoken to them before. So I think the government of Nigeria is still trying to figure out how to deal with their youthful population. Uh, and what they're doing with Bitcoin. I think what the youth of Nigeria have done with Bitcoin is honestly the most amazing thing that's ever happened in finance and economics. This is a true youth-driven revolution, financial revolution. It's just youths on the street who have educated themselves, built businesses around Bitcoin, and are using it in their everyday lives. I don't think anywhere in the world has seen uptake like this, even El Salvador, which is pretty amazing. And it's just a testament to the youth of Nigeria. They're amazing.
2: I think it's so interesting what you said about interacting with your users and really figuring out how to adapt your your existing product or how to how to how to meet the needs that your users actually have. And I think one of the things that we saw in El Salvador is this sort of top-down approach, trying to really you know uh, push Bitcoin into the um, the milieu. And I think it's it just it, what you just said really speaks to me about really how people are using it in Nigeria. I think one of the things that was interesting to me is when the Nigerian government, my understanding is that when the Nigerian government uh, tried to ban Bitcoin recently, the didn't the usage of it actually increase significantly in the country because of the existing person to person? We use the term peer to peer to mean electronic and everything else. But my understanding is that in Nigeria, there's already an incredibly robust actual like human being to human being in real time, physical um, exchange sort of network that already exists. And so people were just able to just seamlessly switch over to doing that versus trying to do it electronically. Is that, or, you know, remotely.
1: It's exactly what went down. In fact, the second the ban was in place, our volumes uh, rose by 20%. And that's just some Paxful. Well, most of the OTC volume in Nigeria is off Paxful, like 99.9% of it. So, you know, you can do whatever you want, but you can't really stop the Nigerian youth. They're going to find a way to do it. In fact, working against them, will often set you back even further and set them further ahead, which is exactly what's happening.
0: It's
2: fantastic. And you guys accept over like 300 different uh, payment methods on Paxful, right?
1: Yeah, it's over 450 or something now. But Oh my gosh. You know, the number can be unlimited, honestly. Someone could say, hey, I'll... I'll send you my old shoes and give me Bitcoin or whatever. I'll make a (laughs) jacket for you. It's peer-to-peer. So as long as two humans can come to an agreement, any trade is possible. I mean, that's, you know, it's a universal translator and transporter of money. Literally anything you want to do with money, anywhere or any kind of conversion is possible. You just have to find the counterpart. Very cool.
2: I'm
0: curious, Ray, like you kind of touched on how your users essentially developed this marketplace out. Can you talk a little bit about maybe what you were noticing or paying attention to as this marketplace turned into now offering 450 different currencies can be transacted for Bitcoin and and other things?
1: Yeah, well, there's a lot of things to pay attention to. Uh, Number one is reputation, right? The reputation system that we have is quite valuable. It actually counts as a kind of currency on the marketplace. And we're always working to make it robust and keep it from being abused. And this is something that I really think about when I think about completely decentralizing Paxful, how we're gonna take this reputation system and turn it into a proper web of trust-based credit score, really, that would change the game and allow tremendous amounts of capital to come into Africa, right? And they would get tremendous, and the people who were making those loans, whether they're from America, England, whatever, they would get a hell of a lot more than 3% APY, right? Because in Africa, for example, if you wanna borrow a, um, $200 to buy a sewing machine, you're gonna pay 30% a month to these loan charts. But because it's the only game in town, people will be happy to even get that. Right? So there's bridges that we can build between them. And the more you talk to our users, the more you talk to the customer, the more you see all of these products that need to be built. And these are not products based on technical ideas. These are products based on real problems that people have. The technology should accommodate that. So we're starting from the right place, from the ground up. So again, I would encourage everyone in crypto, all you smart brothers and sisters out there who have a great idea and are loving technology, I suggest you forget your idea. You humble yourself a bit. And you start talking to people in the global South in the emerging world and find out what their financial problems really are on a day to day, weekly basis. You will literally have infinite ideas for products. So I'm the type of guy that uh, I don't mind if people steal my ideas. Actually, I want everyone to steal my ideas. I'll happily publish publish the specifications online with UX mockups and everything, please. Someone build these things. These things have to be built and the success would be tremendous. The impact would be absolutely earth shattering. So as a CEO, the most important thing you can do is to stay connected to the streets, really. Is there a top of the food chain in your company? Okay, good for you. How many actual real users have you talked to every single week? That's one of my main metrics for success because if you stay connected to the streets, you will get traction. And you will keep the loyalty and love and traction of your business. And that's what everyone in this business needs to understand. Staying connected to the streets is is not something that you can ignore in this business.
0: I love that. I love the call to action. And I, I also think that there's a very important thing that you touched on earlier. You're touching on a little bit here. And it's the openness to collaborate, not hoarding our ideas and thinking that, this is my idea, and you can't make it better. Um, you touched a little bit on something we talked a lot about on this show the idea that Bitcoin, the network itself, is decentralized. However, different exchanges and different on and off ramps are centralized points of control and points of failure or potential points of failure. You touch on the idea of creating a decentralized marketplace. If yeah. you don't mind divulging a little bit more like what in your in your vision what does that look like
1: well there's a lot of people trying to solve this problem right now you know there's Bisc. it's been around for a while but their volumes are very low there's tb dex which is a project by uh, a block formerly known as square and they're trying to do this basically create decentralized paxful but built from the bottom up i'm actually helping them with this uh, which is great i really want them to succeed and there's a few other people that are trying to do the same thing, but because, honestly, there's so, so many idiosyncrasies and, and so many little things, and they're all connected in doing this, no one can really do this successfully, unless they've already built a marketplace from the ground up. If we were to break down how a decentralized Paxwell would be, there's Paxwell has three basic components, right? It's a wallet. A listing service like Craigslist, where people list up their liquidity, like give me your $100 Amazon gift card, I'll give you 70 bucks in Bitcoin, or vice versa. And an escrow service, right, with dispute arbitration, a chat, file uploads, stuff like that. Those three pieces have to be decentralized, right? The wallet's easy, right? There's a lot of technology for that. Uh, decentralizing the order book, it's basically a decentralized Craigslist. There's technology to do that as well. The escrow is just a bunch of smart contracts. uh, Where it gets complicated is if you need a human arbitrator, an oracle to come in there and break a stalemate, right? Which is why, in addition to an OTC marketplace, you would also need a kind of uh, dispute moderator marketplace, an oracle marketplace, since all these guys are oracles, right? Even every KYC provider can be considered an oracle. So let's say we slapped all these bits and pieces together and it was decentralized, it was a side chain of Bitcoin. That's currently what we're looking at. And we got all this up and running, right? What would be the next step here? And that's uh, another place where I'm open for collaboration. I haven't figured everything out yet, but this project is actually going right now. It's been a few years in the, in the design phase. But again, the biggest challenges are going to be when a human needs to get involved. Was when you're dealing with an OTC marketplace, you need uh, you need to have oracles involved somehow. The technology part is easy. It's when humans get involved, it becomes difficult. And also, the basic structure of this thing should be just like Bitcoin. Bitcoin is permissionless, decentralized. Anyone can build a wallet on top of Bitcoin, but it's up to them what rules they'll put in place, compliance, KYC rules, etc., to use that wallet, right? And it's the same thing with this decentralized peer-to-peer. <clears throat> electronic marketplace anyone can build a window or an application on top of this thing they don't necessarily have to show all the orders right so a marketplace that's built based in um, a company that's based in America wouldn't be shown North Korean or Iranian offers right but those offers still exist and should those two users you know seek each other out and find themselves they can do whatever transaction they're with just like on Bitcoin right now And that is the basic idea on premise of this.
3: What is going on, my fellow Bitcoiners? Today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, BitMEX. If you've been in the Bitcoin space for longer than a week, then you probably already know BitMEX is one of the OG crypto derivatives exchange and one of the biggest supporters of Bitcoin in the last decade. What you might not know is that BitMEX is launching a brand new spot exchange on the 17th of May to easily buy and sell Bitcoin and crypto. To celebrate, they're giving away $1 million in crypto to spot traders over the next few months, and they want you to be a part of it. The Bitcoin Magazine crew had the privilege of meeting their team a few months back, and they think that this is the start of something special for BitMEX and their users. Sign up at BitMEX.com today to catch a slice of the $1 in crypto giveaway, and stay tuned to our podcast for future product offerings from their team. Again, don't miss out on the giveaway. Free sats are the best sats. Sign up at BitMEX.com today. one more time. What is up my Bitcoin plebs? Today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsor BitMEX. If you've been in the Bitcoin space for longer than a week, then you probably already know BitMEX as the OG crypto derivatives exchange and one of the biggest supporters of the Bitcoin space in the last decade. But what you might not know is that BitMEX is launching a brand new spot exchange on the 17th of May to easily buy and sell Bitcoin and crypto. To celebrate, they're giving away $1 million in crypto to spot traders over the next few months, and they want you to be a part of it. The Bitcoin Magazine crew had the privilege of meeting their team a few months back, and they think that this is the start of something special for BitMEX and their users. Sign up at BitMEX.com today to catch a slice of the $1 million in crypto giveaway. And stay tuned to our podcast for future product offerings from their team. Again, don't miss out on the giveaway. Free stats are the best stats, so sign up today at bitmex.com.
4: The
1: effect of this thing being alive would be, it would be free trade. It would be everyone being able to source free trade of money. You could send it out to goods and commodities, credit and lending as well. And you could have a Russian trading with a Nigerian or a North Korean or a Syrian or a Lebanese or a Venezuelan trading with whoever, right? No one could stop it. This would truly open the doors to free trade. It would be an absolutely massive accomplishment. And it's really what Bitcoin needs to go to the next level, right? How big would this be and how dangerous is this project? Well, if you look at what happened to the last successful marketplace, Silk Road, right? It got chucked on ferociously. Ross Ulbricht got two years, I'm sorry, two life sentences and 40 years. A little harsh for a guy running a weed marketplace, right? But it wasn't that he was selling weed or people were selling weed on there. It was the fact that this was an actual decentralized, well, distributed marketplace that had traction. Now, something like that ran on tour, but it still wasn't completely decentralized. There were servers, et cetera. And that was the weakness, right? But it's, there's no doubt in my mind that what humanity needs now more than anything else is a proper decentralized peer-to-peer electronic marketplace built on top of Bitcoin.
0: Well said. It, you're not wrong. I mean, it's, it's fascinating too, because it also begs the question not only of what, regulatory actors don't want to see a decentralized marketplace succeed. But what businesses can't afford and what industries can't afford to see a truly decentralized peer-to-peer marketplace where you get rid of all of these middlemen? I mean, this would inhibit a business like Amazon from fully scaling out further. This would inhibit something like Shopify from continuing to expand out further. And they have and not to mention the likes of Brian Armstrong's shit coineries, but those businesses and many others, in addition to government regulators, would come down. I'm curious where or what your largest concern in scaling something like this would be.
1: Yeah, well, the largest concern is always—I mean, besides the you know the risk of the man cracking down. I mean, and that's not really concern. Was me as a U.S. citizen, if I built a window on this marketplace, it would be fully compliant. Someone in Iran, he built something like that—a marketplace on top of this blockchain or the sidechain, and he'd be fine too as well, right? My main concern, it should be the concern for everyone, is a true entrepreneur is traction. Now, we've seen a lot of projects like OpenBazaar, right? And they tried to basically copy Amazon using Bitcoin. It didn't catch traction. Why? There's a lot of reasons for that. But they were essentially trying to solve a problem that didn't really exist, right? The biggest, you know, the, the main traction point is with OTC, with the movement of money. People need to be able to move money around, so that's the biggest problem. They can do that, everything else will be fixed. Especially considering the world we live in right now. The past two months, we've seen the entire world irrevocably change. You know, Russia, Eurasia has joined, I'm sorry, um, Eurasia, which is Russian China, have joined the global South. And if moving money around was a big business before, it will be 10 times bigger right now. And you're seeing new neutral zones pop up. Dubai has replaced Switzerland, etc. So the next step is here, whatever marketplace we build, we need immediate traction. With the OTC marketplace with proper liquidity and a great design as a product, you're gonna get traction. What will be next after that for disruption? I don't know. But somehow, I don't think goods or services would be it in the beginning. I think you might have much more luck with commodities in certain places or credit and lending in certain places and industries as well. Again, what sounds like a great idea on its face doesn't usually pan out until you get the feedback and intelligence from the streets. And traction usually comes from where you least expect it. You know, when I was talking about Africa and Nigeria seven years ago on gift cards, everyone thought I was insane. No one wanted to deal with a bunch of—they uh, call them scammers and Nigerian princes and all this—but I did that because I believed in the people. I believed what I saw and heard with my own eyes, and that's why I'm here. Factual is eleven cities, 450 employees, 10 million users. Not one single dime of VC funding. Not because I'm the smartest guy in the room. Far from it. But because I'm willing to do what others are not, I'm willing to go where others are not willing to go. And my entire team runs it the exact same way.
0: I love that. And I, I just love how, you know, this was very much bootstrapped with a mission and purpose, not to make money, but to get Bitcoin in the hands of everyone who needs it, Um you may have sounded crazy seven years ago. I mean, you have me now doubting some of these Nigerian princes who asked for a whole Bitcoin and promised me to. Maybe I might have to send someone a Bitcoin. Fully joking, do not send someone else a whole Bitcoin like that. Ray, I'm curious, we're seeing the world shift and power slowly shift, I think, from the West to countries and regions of the world that maybe haven't had or been put in the limelight for some time. Um, I'm curious to hear from you sort of what you're seeing and what what your perspective is on the ongoing issues in both um, economically in western countries as well as what we're seeing in eastern europe and how that's going to maybe impact the rest of this decade what's going to happen huh
1: well let me start off with a, a detonating principle as i call it you know i uh i really thought we had like another 30 years to go to kind of Get ourselves out of this mess as a civilization, as humans. But what's been happening in the past few years? First with COVID, Ukraine, you know, this—you know—what's happening in the whole cultural realm with gender issues, et cetera, whatnot. The timeline is moving really, really fast now, guys. Which means we have ten years, so we have to move fast. This world is moving at breakneck speed right now, and whatever our mission is, I know what my mission is, we gotta get to work. So these next 10 years, you're gonna see the world radically change. I mean, I don't think people can imagine what's going to happen. We have a huge bout of mass inflation coming. There's gonna be a huge transfer of wealth. The winners will be the people that believe in sound, honest money and putting it to use, meaning Bitcoin, solving the problems of the real world, the emerging world, putting people to work, peer to peer, that's where everything is going. I've been saying this for a while that peer to peer volume will surpass centralized exchange volume, but I think in the next two years, you're going to see it, it could happen even faster. <laughs> we consider for a moment that 99.9% of OTC volume happens off of marketplaces and escrow services like Pax, and on WhatsApp and Telegram. That's pretty amazing. Keeping You know, a log of all that and incentivizing people to use uh, safer escrow services is one of the things we want to do. But, you know, you can't really be done as an American company. Paxville is a Delaware Corp. And uh, that was a mistake. You can't, an American company cannot serve 100%. Uh, I say that very humbly, looking back on the decisions that I've made. But unless you're serving the 100%, you're really not, you're not helping this mission. You're not helping this cause. Whatever we build now as a community has to be for the 100%, meaning no one is excluded. If we truly believe human financial services are a human right, and I do, then you cannot ignore, you cannot leave anyone out of that. That is essentially a worldview. And I think people's worldviews are gonna continue to radically change. And people's worldviews changing changes everything, including business. I could talk a lot more about all this, but I think I'll just leave it at that brother. But I, I am very hopeful for the future. I think we're looking at a golden age coming up when we actually make put all these pieces together and make this plumbing network work. We've got half a billion unemployed, talented youth in Africa, same number in India, same number in Southeast Asia, same number you combine Latin America and you know Central Asia that's four billion humans that we can put to work. Can you imagine the kind of wealth that would be created? That is the future of humanity, and all we need is honest money
0: it's uh, it's a very heavy heavy story to take in, but uh I mean look we are we are in my opinion living <laughs> the end of times, but you. Know, Maybe I'm just being a little hyperbolic, I don't know. Ray, I'm curious. We saw news out of Central African Republic a few weeks ago making waves that this is now the second country in the world to make Bitcoin legal tender. Um, I'm curious what rumblings or effects this may have on the rest of the continent and what you're looking out of this country to maybe develop further.
1: Well, Central African Republic is a Francophone nation, meaning not only do they speak French, They also use the African franc, this great uh, article written by Alex Gladstein about the central African franc and how it's possibly the most corrupt financial system in the world is actually outright slavery. So that's awesome that we have our first francophone country uh, adopting Bitcoin.
2: However, Can you elaborate on that briefly? What is it about that system that is so oppressive? Ooh, what's well,
1: not oppressive about it? Imagine if you, you know, you run a country, you're the president, and uh, every time you want to print more money, you have to call some banker in Paris. They will print over the, the you know, the francs in Paris, send them over to you, and charge you for the printing and charge you interest on the money, like it's a loan. Actually, right? Jesus, there's there, that just. I mean, that's just the foundation of it. There are all of these other uh, clauses and issues like anything that country produces, Paris has to get first dibs on, right? At whatever price they set. It is essentially slavery. Holy fuck, I had no idea. Yeah, you read Alex Blassey's article, he breaks it down beautifully. I mean, it's worse than anything you can imagine. And this is, you know, this is like double digit countries in Africa. This is hundreds of millions of people living under this system. And no one is even aware. You know, people say, oh, colonialism and slavery, you know, these were horrible things, but this is still happening. Paris runs half of Africa and is literally robbing them every single day, right now as we speak. And no one talks about it. The first time I heard about this was from a taxi driver from Senegal in New York. He was a PhD and he started telling me about this. And I was like, what? How can this be? This is like 10 years ago. And right now we're all still catching up to this. And this just shows you how you know, outright neocolonial slavery is happening right now. Hundreds of millions of people and no one knows.
2: Yeah, it's pretty wild. I, you, you use a term and you used it earlier in this conversation that I think is so effective, which is financial apartheid. And yeah. people love to think of these issues as something that happened in the past. When you use the word apartheid, it immediately, people are like, whoa, whoa, that's a thing. That's like a, I was fucked up, but like, we're good now. Like the world was better. And I think it's so powerful to use that term because it's exactly what is happening here. And uh, yeah. I had no idea about the uh, the system you just described. That's that's why. Yeah,
1: I mean, a place like Egypt, for example, where I was born, right? I mean, Egyptians can't even leave the country. They're trapped there. Their money is completely trapped there. If you have Egyptian pounds, you can't convert it to anything forget do them a dollar or whatever it's even worse in nigeria egyptians are treated like slaves and second-hand citizens of their own country a brick can come over slap you across the face take your woman and the police will arrest you right Wait, uh, what's the term you
2: use oh a brit a brit i yeah, got it uh
1: yeah well, or whatever anyone no no, no i thought, I thought you said a brick
2: i was like you mean like a uh, masonry crap. brick like
1: not to single out the brits but kind of but Anyone can come do that. That is a situation in Egypt where the people are not respected, and it's the same situation in every global South country. And it's because of financial apartheid. The the, the governments don't respect their own people. Why? Because they're poor, and the like, you know the people who run the government can be made poor as well, right? And they won't be able to buy their penthouse in in Miami or their flat in London, right, with these dollars that they have because you know their money will be useless. It's really a gun that's being held to the head of every leader of every global South country in the world. If you don't listen to us, we're gonna punish you. We control price discovery on the Forex. We can destroy your currency in the blink of an eye. Do you not even think about printing your own money and putting your people to work? You have to borrow our money at interest the greatest creative opportunity of any government is to create its own money and put its people to work. How do you think the new deal happened in America? There can't be any new deals happening in Africa. Any of those leaders will wind up under the bus, under the prison. They'll be blown up, and castrated, and sodomized live on camera. And Hillary will laugh about it, just like it happened with Muammar Gaddafi. He wanted, He had 144 tons of gold. Don't want to start a pan-African currency with it. That's a sent all the alarm bells off. The only reason that we're all still here is because, you know, you can't stop an army of mosquitoes, right? That's what peer to peer is. And that's what we need to keep building off of. We have no choice really at this point in history. This is the way it must go.
2: It's so interesting to me. And, you know, with, with Bitcoin 2022, it was, it was important to me to try to pull in as many people who, had come to Bitcoin from a very different place. And so, you know, we had Yonmi Park, we had, you know, Fode, we had Farida, um, people that uh, had really come to understand Bitcoin, not as, a, as an investment that is potentially going to, you know, number go up, but as you said earlier, as this essential freedom technology. And it's so interesting to me that a lot of the places, as, as you, you use the term the global south, they are the people who understand, whether it's you know, South America, places in Africa, they truly understand the value or the, the opportunity that Bitcoin represents in a way that Westerners, I say, you know, you, people in the United States, people in Europe can't get immediately. You know, as you're saying in Nigeria, you, you, just, you, you explain the basic concepts or the, some of the basic concepts of Bitcoin and immediately people just understand it. Like, oh, unconfiscatable money, Peer-to-peer, you remove the middleman, and that is so compelling. And I find that disconnect or that um, that I guess it, it, that opportunity really, really fascinating. It's something that I, I just feel like people, certainly in the United States, don't get enough exposure to, and they don't understand.
1: The only way you can understand is if you actually go to these places and you meet the people. Because let's be honest, the only like uh, image we get of Africa is three things: poverty, disease, and corruption. Right? That's all we get fed. You don't see the incredible entrepreneurship, the ambition, how well-educated people there are, and how really honest and just kind people are over there, especially Nigerians. They get the worst rap, but our team in Nigeria is amazing. I would trust them with my life. You know, we're really in the job here at the end of the day of rebuilding broken civilizations. But what we're looking at across the world in the global south the civilizations that have been absolutely broken to their knees. Look at Zimbabwe. Look at Venezuela. That's what happens when an inflation attack happens. You know, these people, their money didn't get destroyed because these people are dumb and they can't run a country. It was destroyed by design. And every single day, these red blips go off on the world map. Deflationary crisis here, inflationary crisis there, sanctions here, the economic controls there. And in every single case, there is an agenda that we do not see. And people on the ground, on the street, they're the ones that suffer. And in almost every single case, us, people in Bitcoin world, have a solution to help these people. It's good to feel like a superhero. And it's good to see the good that your work can do. But the only way that can happen is if we actually put those boots on the ground and uh, really take these people seriously and start investing in education. Education is huge. Everyone likes to throw around the world, but how many people actually? do things, right? We built 10 schools in Africa and across the world right now and two educational centers. Anyone of any age can go in, and get educated about Bitcoin, how to use it, why it's relevant, why it's needed, what money actually is. And that's what it's going to take because, you know, we started this journey what, like 13 years ago with Bitcoin. It's going to be at least 20 years before we get to the point where we've actually made things really stick. That means another seven years at least. And that is the minimum time horizon we should be looking at.
0: I'm curious, maybe if you want to expand, because, you know, education is a word that gets thrown out so much. What are you hoping, or maybe, maybe you can walk us through, we've had on this show, uh, Yusef come and share some of the programs you guys have done with Built with Bitcoin, but maybe share some of the areas that you would like people to be focused on learning or people to be helping people to learn about.
1: Well, there's the I don't think everyone sense.
0: needs to know who the revolutionary guard was or who helped lead the American Revolution. That's just my two cents.
1: Absolutely, brother. So the first thing that people need to understand is what is money? What is it? Like give me a definition. Is it paper, gold, silver? The money is work. It's just human work. And currency is that work, money encapsulated in some container that will transcend time and space. That's all it is, but it comes from humans. Work, humans doing work. That's why Bitcoin is so awesome, because Bitcoin is backed up by proof of work. All those CPU cycles, all the electricity, humans have to actually put in work to create it. That's what makes it honest. But the alternative is, Some central banker who you've never heard of, you never really know these people's names, they will just type $18 trillion into a keyboard, hit enter, and the money is created. And they can take it for themselves. They can give it away to their friends. And it acts as a double and even triple tax on you, on us, on everyone. That is currently how money is created. It is not backed up by work. It is backed up by debt, meaning they don't have to work for the money, but we do. It's a double standard that is essentially slavery. They are the masters and we are the slaves. And that is why the world is so broken. You know, essentially, this is an orange pill session for everyone that walks through that door. Why are we here? Why are we so passionate about this thing? What problem is it really solving? How is it going to affect your life? How can you use it right now? And this is the honest human conversation that we have with people and you can show people numbers you can show people revisionist history books you can put a lot of stuff in front of people but until you have a human connection with people until there's that empathic connection none of it will really stick we're in the last mile of this journey right now of this race right so we have everything we do has to be you know we have to be playing hard to win right and you never know which human soul you touch will have a massive effect on the world just like me, in the very beginning, I was giving away all of my Bitcoins to all these Nigerians and Africans and teaching them how to trade. I lost like a thousand Bitcoins, and most of the people I never heard of before, but the ones that did make it stake, I could even count them on two, fin- two hands, they basically like orange built the entire nation, right? And that's, you know, that's how we have to be. You know, education is really about us doing our very best. And God will look down and say, look at these poor fools working so hard to try to turn all these souls into the right path. Let me give them a little help, right? And that's what's going to continue to happen, guys. we got El Salvador. We have the Central African Republic right now. How are we going to support these two geopolitical experiments, right? They do need a lot of support. Chiba while it didn't work out very well, if that same fiasco happens in Central African Republic, it's not going to work. I still haven't gone to the Central African Republic. I'm still feeling out the situation, um, but someone needs to do that, and we need to do that very soon, right? And we need to hit boots on the ground with the resources to actually help these people. Meaning, every one of these countries, should they choose to join this system, they should have some kind of white labelable wallet that fully supports Lightning, with the right on ramps and off ramps that can plug into the system, ready available for anyone that wants to do this. We still don't have these bits and pieces ready yet, right? There are too many silos going on. When you put like a Bitcoin embassy in a place like Nigeria or El Salvador, as we've done, it really is the start of something. because people can walk through that door and everyone who's on this same journey, we can start banding together and building these components that we actually need.
2: Wait, can you elaborate? When you say Bitcoin embassy, what do you mean exactly?
1: So in El Salvador, we built a place called La Casa del Bitcoin, the house of Bitcoin. And as it's, it's an educational center, but essentially is kind of the Bitcoin embassy of El Salvador, right? You can go in there, and sit at a desk, you can do your work, you can meet your new co, your co-founder, you can get educated about Bitcoin, you can start a business, you can buy Bitcoin, sell Bitcoin. You can do whatever needs to be done there. So these are like these little nucleuses or home bases that we can set up all over the world. My mission is to have one of these in every major city on the planet. We are kind of like our own country right now, or at the very least, a very cool cult. The most cool, the coolest. Yeah, by far.
2: <laughs> what do you think most Bitcoiners miss? Like, what is the thing that if you could make sure that Bitcoiners understood, they don't currently, what would that thing be?
1: Purpose over price let's stop fixating on the price and let's start putting this thing into solving real problems for the people that need it most. And to do that, it means you're going to have to go where others don't want to go, places like Nigeria, places like the Central African Republic. You know, Central African Republic is one of the poorest nations in the world. They rank at the top of the list for things you don't want to be ranked for. You know, that's what they've suffered more than anywhere else. It is by design. You know, It's not a hot night out in London or Ibiza, Right but these are the places that we need to go. There are no shortcuts in changing the world. The world didn't get this messed up by accident overnight, right? It was a bunch of very wicked people planning things out for hundreds of years, thinking on 400-year time horizons, minimum 20-year time horizons, right? But they made it work. And we're seeing them trying to lock this system down into a system of heart of tyranny, which is inescapable right now. Good news. We've got seven billion humans, eight billion humans on this planet now. And we have Bitcoin. We have peer-to-peer electronic cash. And we have all of this innovation. We have all of these brilliant people moving things at breakneck speed. What we need to do is hit those boots on the ground where it counts most, right? And as a thankless kind of job, you're not gonna get rich like CZ with this shitcoin casino (laughs) doing these things but you will have a tremendous impact on the world and you will become rich eventually. Believe me, it'll happen. It just won't happen in what, a year or two, but it will happen. And it will happen with everyone else around you too. That is very satisfying. Purpose over price, guys. Peer to peer is the way forward. Everything else is a distraction. Crypto is really the attack on Bitcoin itself. You know, if you can't, you know, destroy something, you can bury it under a pile of poop. And that's what they're trying to do. It's up to us to stay on the path. We know the way, let's stick to it.
0: Can you talk a little bit like, we don't need to get into the technical nuances of what happened with Luna and CBDCs, but I'm curious how much just different types of stable coins and broader projects get brought up in the context of the work you do with Paxful and onboarding other people to come on to the Bitcoin of it all.
1: So I'm not an expert on what happened with Luna, but clearly it seems they were attacked who the attackers were, I don't know, Black, Rock, Razor, I don't know. But it's pretty clear that the people that control price discovery, meaning the people that control the forex markets of the world, have tremendous power. They control price discovery, so they want to destroy the value of the Venezuelan Bolivar or the Nigerian Naira overnight, pretty much. They can do it. If they want to keep the value of gold and silver artificially low, so it doesn't expose the entire fiat scan that they have going, they can do it. In fact, they've been doing it. All they have to do is issue these fake paper shorts for gold and silver every morning on a Forex that they control and boom, the price is 10 times lower than it should be. So in addition to this decentralized peer-to-peer marketplace, we kind of need a peer-to-peer Forex where we can take price discovery back. I think Terra Luna was starting to inch toward this with a fully like Bitcoin-backed stablecoin, because you could do the same thing not just for USD, but for euros and every African currency, every currency on the planet, and that scared that scared the uh, the bad guys. They're like, "Wow, whoa, hold on a second here, you have to nip this in the bud." And they did. They destroyed fully billion dollars of value overnight. You know, we can go around and blame Duquan or whatever. I don't know anything about the guy. He was a bit Arrogant, maybe, but there's something there. And what he attempted, we have to try to do right. That we, The humanity needs a people-powered forex. Humanity needs to take back control of price discovery. Price discovery itself must be made honest. And Bitcoin is an amazing tool to do that. We just have to structure the plumbing right. So I do want to thank Duke Kwan for taking a first stab at it. I believe Andre Conge with his fixed FX product was also a step in that direction, but he abandoned that. So I'm calling out to all the super smart people in the space. If you want to help me do this and do this right, do reach out. I'm Ray Paxful everywhere. Let's do this together, guys. Humanity needs this, and we don't have much time.
0: Can you maybe share, like, we... I think everyone on this call has, is American or has ties to America. And we have a privilege in this country to not really understand what or why the role of stable coins need to exist. Can you maybe share what you see as their purpose in the future?
1: Sure. Well, let's go into the shoes of your average OTC trader. Right? who's brokering all the brokering all these ODC trades with crypto and fiat and bank accounts all around the world. right? They have to settle their books internally and if the only way they can do that is actually by doing a bank transfer, it's a huge pain in the butt. I mean, it's basically impossible because you, know, you have to you know, clear all these transactions with your bank, show all these documents, so this, so that. But stablecoins fix all that. You can use stable coins to hedge all of your trades, all of your risk. It's a beautiful invention, right? You can immediately get exposure to whatever currency you want, just like that. That's what humanity needs, to move things forward. If humanity had that, we'd be moving so much faster. Look what USDT uh, did to the space, right? I mean, it did a lot for the space. Imagine if we had a stablecoin for every currency out there. How important that is if we have a proper like U.S. dollar stablecoin, I can't say, but you know there's ways to play with that. We could issue a stablecoin for every currency on the planet, and we could say it's pegged to the dollar. We could do things like offer like inflation insurance because we're backing up this stablecoin, say with uh, Bitcoin, but it's in U.S. dollars. If something happens and there's you know your inflation rises by 50 percent that year you could get airdropped a whole bunch of stable coins to make up for that inflation, right? There's, I mean, we have so many levers at our disposal with DeFi and all these game mechanics that there's so much that we could do to protect people, to give back, to leave all the money on the table for the people. That would truly show them a better way. Like we have a lot of very intelligent, creative people in the space Unfortunately, most of them are involved in scams like uh, Richard Hart, you know, his This is a Ponzi outright, right? But the tactics he's used to get into circulation are quite brilliant. Why can't we use the same tactics with Bitcoin, right? And that's how we have to think this is, you know, people think it's all about the truth, right? The truth is very important, clearly. But at this stage in the game, guys, it's all about winning <laughs> winning is the only thing that matters because we're playing for massive stakes right now. Literally the whole universe is at stake. Now, that's not an exaggeration either.
2: Can you elaborate when you say that some of the tactics that Richard Hart uses are effective? I mean, he's an incredible orator. Um, what are some, can you elaborate a little bit more on that?
1: For example, one of the things he did, uh, with this latest, um, what's it called pulse? Uh, it's, it's, he's taking the, uh, uh, L2 Ethereum and launching it before Ethereum, right? This is his, he's beating Ethereum to the punch. Okay, cool. But one of the things he's doing is making onboarding really easy. He's saying to people, hey, you can't, uh, you know, you don't want to buy crypto because, you know, you don't want to go through all the taxes and this and that. And a lot of people have that same issue. So he said, okay, no problem. You make a donation, these 10 uh, non for profits and we'll match your donation in our new fancy you know, token, which is a scam. Brilliant, yeah. right? Like, why can't we do stuff like that? I mean, yeah, yeah. why is scam it only scammers that have to get creative, right? Yeah. I, you yeah, from everyone.
4: yeah I, I think that's, um, it's funny. I, I agree with P, he's an incredible orator, but yeah, he is running a, a large scam for sure. I guess, what are your thoughts on, I know this was kind of announced at Bitcoin 2022, about uh, TARO or T-A-R-O, I forget the acronym for it, but I know it was uh, implemented or it's able to be used with Taproot's upgrade. I think Lightning Labs is leading it. It's basically, they're trying to do exactly what you're saying. They're trying to offer stable coins on top of Bitcoin. So um, I know some people are calling it alt coins on, on Lightning, but basically what they're trying to do is exactly what you said. Instead of having a separate currency or a separate token, it's Bitcoin's the base, and then it's built on top of it, on top of the Lightning Network. So I guess taking a little bit of Jack Mallor's idea of using the network of the Lightning Network, as well as stablecoin on top, on well as the base layer, it's trying to intersect all three of those. I don't know if you have much um, of an idea into that, Ray, or what are your thoughts on that.
1: I've heard of Taro. Uh, it's similar to fixed FX, except it's using Lightning, which is very encouraging. I have not done my due diligence there yet. So thank you for bringing it back up, man. I'm going to dive into that probably after this, actually. It's been on my list for a while.
4: Yeah, P, I don't know if you have anything else to add from that. I know it was obviously, you know, we had it a couple months ago at uh, Bitcoin 2022, 2022, like I said, I, I believe Lightning Labs is leading the initiative. Correct me if I'm wrong there.
2: Yes, it is Lightning Labs and uh, and Lalu. Yeah. Um, I won't be able to do it justice in this conversation. I would want to like have like the, the, the specific points and the, the key um, the key aspects of it really clear in my mind before trying to speak to it. But um, yeah, it is a super exciting uh, technology. It is built on top or rather it allows one to use and leverage the technology of the lightning network in order to um, facilitate the types of uh, transactions you're talking about. But unfortunately I, I can't speak to the specifics yet. I need to do my research as well more of my research. Yeah, I think I think with you know with people like Richard Hart, I think it just goes back to what you were saying earlier, Ray, that uh, I think people like that are doing this for all the wrong reasons and they hide behind this um, this supposed altruism, you know, by saying like, oh yeah, we're gonna match your. Your uh, whatever you contribute, but really, of course, Richard Hart is in it for one reason and one reason only, and that's to take as much Bitcoin from as many people as possible and put it directly into his own pocket, at any cost. And I think there's a lot of systems like that, and so being able to distinguish between the systems that are that make it economically infeasible or impossible for people to use those motivations or to be to be driven by those motivations um, is really important, and I think. You know one of the reasons that Bitcoin, as I've said many times, is so exciting to me is that the the incentives start to align. what is what is best for the individual is is incentivized by the network to be best for um, everyone. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think when people are building on 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 Bitcoin, building on lightning, the the chance that they are that they that, that serving their own interests serves everyone else is so much higher than any of these other systems where one can change the total supply, can arbitrarily change the protocol and things like that. So, Absolutely. What do you think is the, the biggest threat to Bitcoin at this time? Well, I mean,
1: crypto is the attack on Bitcoin. All this noise and all this infighting certainly doesn't help. You know, we did a campus tour in uh, Africa in 2019. And uh, you know, every time I talk about Bitcoin or crypto, I would look out to these students' faces and I'd see their faces get all kind of like, what is, what's going on here? It turns out, look, if you talk to any African, it, they have either been scammed or have a friend or family member that's been scammed using Bitcoin or crypto or something, right? And all this noise, all this damage, and we laugh at it on crypto Twitter, but it has done massive, irreparable damage in the rest of the world where it really counts, right? Like all these African families have lost their life savings. You mentioned Bitcoin or crypto, these start thinking scams. And again, education will offset that. So ultimately, I don't think we're, you know, we, we're moving very fast now. We moved a tremendous amount of uh, speed as our you know, agility set has risen by plus 10 in the past two years, but we're still not moving fast enough. That's the truth. There's not enough happening on the ground right now. We're not doing enough to get more Bitcoin into the hands of people that need it most and to lead them to the right places, right? because most people's <clears throat> first interaction with is a place like Binance and they'll buy some Doge or Shibu, right? And that's what they think of as crypto. Some people say, oh, they don't even, most people that I talk to don't even have Bitcoin. They're holding on to all these other alts, right? It's still price over purpose. That's still the dominant narrative. And that's our biggest risk, that this narrative continues to proliferate, continues to rob this scene of the best and brightest minds, continues to poison the well of all of these, you know, good, normal folks on the ground that think this thing is just a big, you know, penny stock, get rich, quick scheme. This is the danger. And it hasn't, it hasn't changed much, but the, the momentum is starting to swing in our favor, which is very, very cool.
0: Ray, I'm curious what you think is the biggest hurdle to achieving hyper-Bitcoinization in Africa. Ooh, wait, I have,
2: a, I have a question before that. How, how, would you define, how would you define hyper-Bitcoinization? What does that term mean to you, Ray?
1: All it means to me is everyday usage. For example, um, every you know, business out there says, oh, we've got this many users. And how many active users? Oh, it's this much, okay. <clears throat> we have 10 million users. We don't use active users. We use engaged users as a stat. We have almost 700,000 engaged. And by engaged, I mean they're literally, not just logging in once a month, like most places, But they're using the product and they're using Bitcoin at least once a week. That is an engaged user. That's how I would advise, you know, define hyper-Bitcoinization. And it doesn't have to be 30% of the population using it, right? That's not necessary. Like you look at like Nigeria has gotten so far with less than 1% of the population using Bitcoin or having it. I've heard some places quote, oh, 30% of the Nigerian population is using Bitcoin. Absolutely not. It's less than 1%. It's just the quality of those 1% is so immense. They are really driving this forward with tremendous business acumen, building businesses on top of it, educating, evangelizing. It's amazing. So it's not about the numbers. It's about the quality of the approach. That's how you get real traction. I think we need to focus on the youth. They can move things tremendously fast. If every university student in Africa had Bitcoin, I would define that as hyper-Bitcoinization. Because from that, believe me, it will get everywhere
2: else. Okay, sorry for jumping in there. Can you restate your question so that I can now,
0: with that context, answer that? What is the, bit, what is the thing stopping Africa from achieving that?
1: It's, uh, it's ultimately education. Education, like people have to know, why do I need to care about this? If the answer is, "Oh, you can make some money, you can get rich," just give me, you know, your last twenty 000 naira myra—it's like fifty-three bucks or something—and you know put it into this shit coin and wait. If that's the answer, and it's still the answer for most people, then yeah, that's a huge hurdle in our path. If it's instead, "Hey, I you know I have a I have a dream, I have a vision. I know it can be real. We can all, everyone in this community, can have everything we need." The only thing holding us back is that we can't use the money that we do have to create new money and new cash flows, and new business, because we're living under financial apartheid. But guess what? There's a cure. It's this thing called Bitcoin, and there's a reason for it to exist. It can actually help us. It is real, honest money, but guess what? The system we're living under right now is a massive scam, and here is why. And here's some call to actions, man. This is how you can get started how are you getting money from your friends and family in germany right now oh they're sending it to western union well hey guess what they can just send you bitcoin you can sell it here someone for an immediate m-pesa transfer you can get it immediately you can even make a profit off of it because of the arbitrage you know bitcoin is more scarce in africa and you won't have to pay western union 20 percent and wait two business days and wait on a long line after walking 10 miles making things real for people real examples walking them through an entire process sharing your story with them this is what we need more of because remember there's too much focus on trying to get these normies that just don't care like forget about all these jaded you know white folks that just don't get it and don't want to let them be as they are no pressure no judgments let's focus on the people that want our help Let's go to them. Let's help them. Look at these Nigerian youth. I mean, they're amazing. The more we invest in there, it'll come back to us a thousand acts for us and the world. And they will, we will create a generation of leaders. And that is what it's all about, guys. We want to create more leaders. The job of every leader is to create more leaders. And to do that, it's simple. It's about education, right? You have to spend the time. To fill people's minds up with enough information that they can defend their position and they will start building on top of their position and they will grow wealthy and make those around them wealthy. That is how it works. That is how civilization is built. These are the basic essentials that we forget in a scene with some very, very smart people moving at you know lightning speed. But you know, we can't take away from that. That's where we should be. <laughs>
0: Ray, my biggest takeaway from this conversation, I think, has been, you know, the way you are prioritizing, let's go from the bottom up, build things for the people, talk to the people and build the products and use cases that they want and need, and let everything else work itself out when that time comes. We're seeing, though, in the Bitcoin community, I think an emphasis on the other side of that coin, an almost top-down approach where you see Bitcoiners reaching out to legislators, you have Bukele almost hosting a, what what was it? 44 different central bankers from all over the world to discuss Bitcoin and how it can help them bank the unbanked in their respective countries. I'm curious about your thoughts on this top-down approach you see some Bitcoiners taking while other Bitcoiners push this bottom-up approach. Do you think these top-down approaches can be useful or helpful in the long run of Bitcoin adoption?
1: Well, absolutely, and in fact, You could call what Bukele is doing actually kind of bottom up in his own little world, right? Like he's all these regulators. You'd be surprised at how little they know and how little people have spoken to them about this. Most of the time, it's just one guy whispering in their ear, oh, no, this Bitcoin is horrible, and they believe him. Does he have no other reference? So Bukele got all these folks together in the same room and is actually educating them and sharing his journey. That's beautiful. That's real community outreach. That's like me inviting all my friends, you know, that I used to box and do MMA. Let me call all the fighters to some pub and sit down and have a Bitcoin Orange spill powwow with them. That's bottom up, right? It doesn't matter if I'm a normal guy and he's the president of a country. He's doing it bottom up from his, you know, own world, which is good. So I, I applaud that effort. You know, regulators need to be educated as well. You'd be surprised at how far behind they are. Right? They're so happy. When someone actually takes an interest, educating them, like, oh, okay, like they'll listen. And this is an edge that we have. So all props to Kelly for
0: doing that. Do you feel like if there is one regulator out there, you don't have to name names, but what is what is something you've been dying to say to this person to negate what they believe about Bitcoin?
1: I mean, you know, when you when I look at these people, I know most of them already bought and paid for it. There's nothing I'm going to say to them that's going to somehow counter their paycheck, right? <laughs> or their, their you know, secret society that they've joined, right? <laughs> that's okay, you know, they're on their path, I'm on mine. I can't name a name, but you know, a lot of these regulators in Africa, they're actually quite open, like um, the vice president of Nigeria. He has been quite open. He wants to understand how we can use this. He's been outspoken voice for supporting this. We have to get to these people. And we have to show them a better path. Like we just met with Senator, Senator Loomis you know, in Washington, D.C., from Wyoming. Right? And she and her team are amazing. They're working on a 167 page bill to bring real asset laws to Bitcoin in a way that is favorable and innovation friendly. That's great as well. No, we still have to support all of these efforts, you know, supporting other people on the ground doesn't mean you're turning back and all these, you're backing all these other things. We're mature business people. We have to accept that, you know, we're living in a world that has rules and influential power cores, and we have to reach all of them as well. But again, the main driver of adoption, the reason that we're here, the reason I'm not homeless anymore, like I was eight years ago in New York, is because we're willing to take this to the people that need it most, meaning the man or woman on the street. We can never lose sight of that. There comes our success. There will come our staying power. And that is where our victory will emerge. It is from the global south, guys. There's no way around that.
0: love it and well said. Uh, Ray, I want to give you the opportunity to maybe share uh, anything or touch on anything that we haven't had the chance yet to ask you about, uh, whether it's the work you're doing with PAX Forward. (laughs) something that you're noticing that you wanted to speak on
1: well that's a dangerous thing to open up the floor to me brother i can monologue for a whole hour
2: god knows do it do it embrace the darkness i Don't
0: i also welcome the opportunity to have YouTube take our channel down again so by all means go go nuts <laughs>
1: I feel like
0: like it like
2: flashes. It's like jump cut 10 minutes later and like everything's on fire, like inexplicably behind us, just like, you know, Bitcoin
1: everywhere. It's (laughs) like that Elmo gift. the flames in the background. I can't (laughs) turn it into that. But look, you know, I'm just a normal guy. You know, I grew up in New York City in Hell's Kitchen in the 80s and 90s. My parents were school teachers from Egypt. They just came to America for a better life, right? there was no opportunity where they were. And there still isn't. I learned a lot, you know, in New York growing up. My parents knew dealing with the streets and dealing with human beings and uh, all those skills I need right now. Failing 11 times as an entrepreneur taught me so much as well. and brought down my ego. I thought it was pretty hot shit, right? But God has a way of humbling us to rebuild us. And this is happening to all of us, whether we know it or not. All think about yourself before Bitcoin, before being orange pill. Think about how you saw the world and how it's changed so dramatically, right? This is not just about money. This is a complete phase shift. Human souls are being transformed right now into actual living, breathing, thinking humans. We were all just NPCs before, look at how Bitcoin has changed our lives. And I'm not trying to put Bitcoin on a pedestal, or you shouldn't be worshiping Bitcoin, believe me, guys. Bitcoin is a technology, it is an awesome thing, it's a tool we must use, but ultimately our mission is to help our fellow brothers and sisters, wherever they are. This is ultimately about human empathy, where human beings are tired of just stamping on each other's faces. We don't need to live like this anymore. We were given this beautiful world as a test, to see which, which of us is best in intention and indeed. Beautiful. There is no place in the world where your time, your effort, your intention can be more powerful than this space right here. These Bitcoin people, these crazy folks, are truly changing the world, and we have already made massive change. But what we have done will be absolutely nothing compared to what we do in the next 10 years, guys. So if you're young, if you're ambitious, if you're tired of seeing all of this brokenness out there, if you're tired of seeing human beings at a low level of of civilization, and if you believe that human beings are meant for more, if you believe that human beings are good, a great creation, then let that out. And the way you let that out is by joining this community and helping us build. Educating yourself is the first step. Immerse yourself, you don't need to take a course. You can jump in yourself and you can go to a Bitcoin meetup and make some new friends. It will change your life, guys. It will change my life and it will change the life of many other people around you. And it will make you wealthy as well. Wealth is good. And that doesn't mean owning a a yacht and a Ferrari. It just means having free time in your life to add value to other places and people around you. That's beautiful. All human beings deserve that. And I believe in that world. It wasn't always the case. I was a disdainful atheist at one point that didn't even understand why we were here. But I have since been reprogrammed. I'm no longer an NPC. I'm actively playing the game and playing my role. And I'm going to be moving around the world these next few weeks doing that. That's my life. I've actually become the hero in my own role-playing game. And it feels great. Such a validation of a youth spent playing role playing games. But here we are, guys, in the most epic game of all. God is the most enlightened of game designers, and he created this world to test us. He wants to see that we can take it back and that the human experiment will be a success. And it absolutely will be. No matter what, I refuse to see humanity fail. We can win this one, guys. We've got 10 years to make this stick. So let's do the hard work and let's enjoy the journey. And just remember, we have all the tools we need just by being born human on this planet. Nothing else is needed. We really need to take away the noise.
0: Thank you, Father Ray, for that beautiful sermon. <laughs> we, I want you to know we legitimately were chatting in a different chat box, so you have such a beautiful voice, you might as well just be a preacher at this point. But that was so beautifully said. Um, everyone who is not already, be sure to give him a follow. His Twitter handle is at Ray Paxful. Uh, Be sure to follow him. Be sure to uh, follow the Paxful team as they continue their journey, as well as the Built with Bitcoin team, which uh, Ray was instrumental in helping to get off the ground and helping put that team, uh, just introduce them to Bitcoin and, and send them off on their way. Ray, sincerely, thank you for not only joining us today, but the work that you do to help push Bitcoin forward all across the world, uh, it does not go unnoticed, and we are all very grateful for it. So thank you for that, my friend.
1: Thank you, brothers. You do amazing work yourself too, brothers. It will not be forgotten. I
2: appreciate you.
0: It's fantastic having you, man. Uh, and as always, promo code FOMO to get 10% off of everything in the Bitcoin Magazine store. <laughs>